Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to continue our study into your word. Please continue to bless us and enable us uh, to learn more about you so that we can know you even better. You have blessed us greatly in many things in this country, and this is one of them, the freedom and opportunity to meet. And again, we uh, close this approach to you in thanks. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. And one more time, happy Mother's Day. What a beautiful service. I love the times we get to a chance to celebrate the testimony of the, of the power and the work of God in our lives, and uh, that, that was wonderful. Um, and it was, it was fitting. I told Chris Whitney what a, what a perfect uh, uh, segue for him as well when they said, not once but twice, don't underestimate the power of a meal. <laughs> so all of you that support One Gen Away, um, they could say the very same thing. <clears throat> don't under, underestimate the power of a, of a meal. Uh, appreciate Kevin Renee Morris also as I've seen you guys uh, they're some of our lead volunteers on the days that we host uh, one Genoa's food giveaway uh, and it's just an incredible experience isn't it guys that um, uh, in addition to blessing those who do not have enough to eat with food uh, the other very simple thing that they do each time is uh, somebody will will take that food back to the car of the person that's receiving it and will pray for them and uh, I just think it's an incredible, Chris will talk a whole lot about that. Some people will come and say, well, don't you like give them the gospel? Like, this is a ministry that shows them the gospel. Then opportunities arise in those moments of prayer in ways that we can't ever script. So, um, again, thank you so much for supporting that ministry. Uh, they're going to be here all month and, and would encourage you to spend some time with, uh, with Chris. We are wrapping up our study this week of life together. It's been a blessing to me. Um, one of those times I told you when, when we began the study, for years I've wanted to do this as a class. It's just a, uh, he's a, a brilliant writer, an incredible witness in Christian history who literally gave his life for the faith. Um, but I, it never felt like the right time. And uh, if you weren't here at the very beginning of this, I, I read again the first or second paragraph of the book when he said, don't take it for granted when you can gather together physically in Christian community. And I thought, wow, this was written, you know, decades ago, but it feels like it was written for COVID. <laughs> it was literally written for a time where we were reminded in very tangible ways not to take for granted being able to physically sit in a room together. Uh, Zach and I to be able to sit down and have a meal together last week, to be able to talk and to hug and to Sally to to see you and, and for us to gather and honor Miss Virginia in a, in a funeral and all of that. We don't take that for granted. You know, even that funeral, right, Miss Sally? We wouldn't have been able to do that this time a year ago. It certainly wouldn't have looked the way it did. So um, I feel like this was a study, at least it was a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, we're finishing up the last chapter where he is talking about specific ministries, services, and gifts that we give to each other. I call this one the best kept secret in life healing, what will heal your life, one of the best kept secrets. It's not been a secret in larger Christian community, but sometimes in mine uh, growing up. Uh, I want to set the context for this, borrowing an image that I got from a guy named Fred Craddock, literally wrote the book, of, for, <clears throat> book on preaching in the, in the previous um, uh, century. But he talked about, remember when you were a kid, all the games that we would play of hide and seek. Do you remember playing hide and seek or those kind of peekaboo, all the kind of stuff games when you were little? 
Um, I remember playing with Christine, and it was so funny to me that she would hide. She would hide terribly, and she's giggling the entire time. And so I would have to make a real big deal about like not being able to find her when it was obvious exactly where she was in the room. And she'd giggle louder and louder and louder as you go around. Uh, here's, here's the thing, again, Craddock pointed out, I thought, man, this is so brilliant. You learn deep things from childhood games, right? So what do you learn? You learn two things from the childhood games we play. First of all, it's in our nature to hide. We love little things where we get to hide and we kind of have these discovery moments. But here's what, all of us have experienced this. If you've ever played hide and seek and you hide really, really well and they can't find you, for a little while it feels really good, right? What happens after too terribly long if you hide a really good hiding spot? What happens? It's really uncomfortable, right? Two things that he says. Number one, it's in our nature to hide, but listen to this. It is also in our nature to be found. If we live too long in hiding, it gets really, really dark and empty and scary there. And that's not just true for childhood games. It's incredibly true for our spiritual life. So what this, that we're finishing, where he finishes in the book, with what I call the gift of confession. There is a practice, a spiritual practice, a ministry we do together. I call it the best kept secret in Protestant Christianity because those in the Catholic and the Orthodox faith and uh, Episcopal and others um, recognize this and have for centuries. Sometimes we miss that somehow. This is one of those things, the last 500 years, we talked last week about uh, the Protestant church, the Protestant church. Uh, wonderful thing, God worked through it, and sometimes we threw the baby out with the bathwater in some things. And there's an aspect in which confession is one of those things that is getting reclaimed, I think, in Christian history. But I want to go to uh, one of the classic places in uh, Scripture on that. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And uh, this is one of the, it's named as, uh, there's, a, there's a handful of songs or psalms in, uh, in the psalm book uh, in scripture called the penitential psalms, the repentance psalms. This is one of those. Although it's a mixture, there are different, um, just like if you go on Netflix or something and you're, you want to pick a movie out, there are different genres. You can browse by genre, right? You can say, oh, okay, I want a um, drama, I want a comedy or whatever. Uh, there are different genres in the book of psalms. Some of them are penitential psalms. But this one bridges the gap. It is both penitential, and this, this becomes very important as you see how it opens. It is also a psalm of thanksgiving. I want you to hold those things together. It is a, song, a psalm of repentance and thanksgiving, and that tension is, I think, particularly powerful. So let, let's read it, um, and let's, again, as always, I've got some things to share. We'll bring Bonhoeffer's thoughts in and, um, and see what we can learn here about life together with the people of God. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. 
You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. I'm going to read the first four verses again, and let's focus on that first. I'll read it. What, what grabs you? Is there a word or a phrase or something that, that strikes you here? Something we can learn about the gift that he gives us of confession. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What do you notice about this section? This is David praying and writing here. Uh, anything at all that you notice about this particular psalm? We can hear you, but our folks online can't. Thank you. He's, he starts with, first of all, the words blessed. So he already starts by saying what you need to do or, or what it is um, in the Lord. So he starts by saying that. And then after that, he said, when I didn't realize that, like then he talked about himself. So he spoke first about um, uh, the definitive of being in God, yes. which is blessed. Yes. And he said that for the first and the second, and then after that, he talked about himself, but he made it to where it was almost a confession when he didn't realize it, and yes. then he came back to his realization is yeah. what I'm picking up from that. Thank you so much, yes. In fact, I love the way you bring that out. One, one of the things, one of the most famous books on confession in all of Christian history, it'd be great to do a thing on, like we've done on this sometime, uh, Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you pronounce his name, wrote a book called The Confessions. But one of the things that's powerful about that, like you brought out, it's not just a confession of his sin, it's also a confession of his faith in God. And I never thought about that until you just said that. Thank you. He starts out starting with God. He's confessing something about the nature of God, then he turns to, to his own brokenness. I think it's really, really important. Uh, the other thing he brought out, I think, is incredible here. We have heard this language more frequently in the New Testament sometimes than the Old. In fact, we even have a title for this kind of statement. Blessed are blank, right? Anybody know what we call this in the New Testament? There's a list of them at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. What do we call them? Beatitudes. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because I, I remember it was probably 15 years ago, the light turned on for me. I grew up in a setting where everything I read in Scripture was a rule book. Not, not all that's bad. There are some rules in there, but it's much bigger than that. So hear me. I remember all of my life hearing the Sermon on the Mount and hearing the be attitudes, and, and I, people would even teach on it. It is the be attitude. This is the attitude you're supposed to be. Now, the problem with that is I would read the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are mourning. I would read it as a command. 
In fact, maybe if you're like me, you grew up and sometimes you heard whole sermon series or class series on it. By the way, I'm not saying that's a totally inappropriate way to go there. It's just not the nature of a beatitude. But I would read it like, oh, this is something I have to do. This is why it's interesting putting your comment together with the idea that this is both a repentance song and a thanksgiving song. Because he's writing now, David, after the fact that he has confessed and after the fact that God has blessed him through this experience. So let me say, I remember I was preparing, I don't know why this sticks in my head, but I was preparing for doing a series of talks at a youth retreat of all things on the Beatitudes, and I remember when the light turned on and said, hold on, Beatitudes are not commands. Listen to me, they are invitations. I want you to think about this for a moment, how it changes everything. Beatitudes are not commands, they're invitations. Doesn't mean there's not some force to it that, yeah, we probably ought to be this way. But think about when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount for the very first time, he was talking to people. Imagine the feeling that we had in the worst part of COVID. They had it even worse for decades and decades, in some ways for centuries, right? They're oppressed by a government that is not a godly government, right? Um, so, so often their church systems, the synagogue was corrupted and co-opted by po politics and all that stuff. They were taxed beyond belief. They were poor. They were a lot of times, uh, right? And we've talked about this the past weeks. The teaching even in the spiritual communities was so empty that when Jesus came, they're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible compared to what we have. Now listen to all of that. Can you imagine Jesus starts his message saying, if you are poor... I invite you to experience blessing. If you're mourning now, I'm inviting you into an experience of a blessing in your life. He's not saying go. He didn't have to tell. You hear me? He didn't have to tell them to go be poor in spirit. They already were. He didn't have to tell them to go mourn. They already were. He didn't have to tell them to be hungry for something that was real and just and righteous because they didn't get it around. Does that make sense? And they were on the edge of their seat when he said, oh, blessed are you if you are this. It's an invitation. Now, we come back to this context. I, I, I have had a sense, to the extent we had confession in any meaningful way, for me, it wouldn't have been an invitation to a blessing. It was, oh, man, you screwed up, so let me, here's what you got to do. Hear me. David is doing what we just saw on this podium. He's testifying after the fact of an experience, to the blessing of an invitation to own your brokenness before God. Look, yeah, Mike, back here. So again, thank you for taking us to that place. For, for it to be an, I, um, an invitation, you actually have to identify yourself as that because when you saw it as a command, I saw it as, oh, well, that's those people. Well, that's those yes. people. Until yeah. I finally went, oh, I guess I am. Yeah, I am. And, and so I had to literally take ego out of the way and identify to accept the invitation. So there's actually a, a humility yes. where you have to identify yourself as, okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay, I can see that as me. Okay, so let me now try to understand what it means to live a life to the fullest of what he's saying. Like, like, then wrap your mind around that, if that makes sense. You no, to, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, in fact, again, 
growing up for me, I don't know y'all's experience, but growing up for me, confession was fairly limited to one moment at the end of a sermon, and that was only if you epically screwed up and you felt like you had to go up. Or sometimes we'd have this, you ever have these situations where there was someone whose heart was really tender and they would repent every week, every week? Like there's a person very close to my life, this person would go every week and they finally said, okay, you don't have to repent every week, right? Which, by the way, now I look back, um, the longest standing rituals and routines and liturgies of worship do have repentance together every week. In fact, every day, right? So we have made this kind of experience. I love the way you said it. That's somebody else. That's for, oh, these big top 10 list of sins. No, I, on a regular basis, am, hear this language, invited to own my brokenness and my weakness and my failure, whatever, and I ultimately put it all in the category of my ultimate dependence on God. I get to own that. That's an invitation. And what David says at the very beginning of this, he gets a little bit dark. But before the darkness, he says, I'm inviting you to experience something that isn't just for a few. It's not for somebody else. And it's not a burden, ultimately. It is an incredible blessing to own our brokenness and dependence. step of Alcoholics Anonymous, committed to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Yes. Yes. And it's almost proven that those who don't do that, that have secrets and, and keep them, yes. will yes. use again, or drink again, yes. you know, use their drug. So that's why it's so important to not keep secrets and to confess. And by the way, I was one of those that went down just about every other week. No, you know, you. when they sang just as I am or right. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes, oh, you know. No, oh, why not tonight? I yeah. think that was the best one. Yeah, that's why not tonight, that right? Yeah. Especially for Sunday night. Yeah. That was Sunday night church. Why not tonight, man? We'll do yeah. it. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. You you got you guys know I refer to this all the time. I did my doctoral work on, on recovery to literature and um, and desert spirituality. It wasn't wilderness spirituality, so I love that. There's a phrase I'm sure you've heard before, Miss Judy. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. By the way, again, we've been poisoned by the images in the past. That doesn't mean you have to go up here and say it to everybody. But how does it say it in step five? I think this is literally practicing what you find in the book of James, what you find here in Psalm 32. To God, to ourselves, and what does it say, Miss Judy? To another human being. There is a power and a blessing in having someone in your life that is safe enough and close enough to own your brokenness. And one more quote. You brought it out, so I'll quote it again. It doesn't say the general things I've, I kind of screwed up. What does it say, Miss Judy? The exact nature of our wrongs. Somebody needs to know my stuff. Now, all y'all aren't going to know all my stuff. Somebody needs to know my stuff. And there's got to be somebody that's close enough to do that. And again, I can't say this enough. David calls it a blessing. David calls it an invitation to experience a, a lightning of the burden. And, and again, we already read in the second, second, third, fourth verse here, why is it a blessing to do that? What does he say about the pre-confessional experience? Anything grab you about that? He says it in here, maybe, again, this is places, the Bible's always real, but this is a place where the Bible is dirt, honest, real, right? Emily. Uh, wait. When I 
No, 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 people out there can't hear. I know we all want to yell. By the way, I'm going to say while you're walking up there, I don't know if we're going to, I need to talk to our COVID folks and all that stuff. If we're getting to a place where we could spread out again upstairs, it'd be so much easier to do it in Zoom there. But uh, so talk to me. If this is safer to you, we'll keep doing it. If we can move upstairs and make it easier to talk. But go ahead. Just this straight scripture. When I kept it, my bones wasted away. Yes. What is he saying? When I kept silent, when I kept my secret, when I buried what was going on inside of me. By the way, hear me. None of this is like guilt. It, it is literally infecting him both emotionally and what else does he say? It physically hurts him to bury the stuff inside. He said, my bones were, I could feel it in my body and I couldn't sleep. Has anybody ever had this experience? <laughs> right? When you've been, you've been wrestling with something, you buried something, you put it down. And again, the invitation here is not to shame and guilt you. It is to unburden that. And David said, I tried to hold it in. I tried to hold it in. tried to hold it in. Again, remember the image. Children teach us this. It is in our nature to hide. We will all do it. Again, I work with men. 90% of my work is with men. We are masters at hiding. We hide through sports. We hide through humor. We hide through bravado. And inside, we're still 10-year-old little boys who want our daddies to, to honor us and approve us and call us out, who want ladies to admire us. I'm just telling you the truth. This is a secret that you, we, ladies, we know, you know it's not a secret. But that we're all that. And I, I can't speak for you ladies, but I suspect we all hold on. You know, I, I got a lot of strong women in my life who will say, I can do it. Didn't you hear it today? Wasn't that part of the testimony? I got it. I don't need that. I'll do it myself. I'm telling you, hear the invitation to the blessing. That voice in our head that says, I can do it all on my own, is an outright lie from the pit of hell. And anytime I have an opportunity, especially to speak to guys, you know this is a verse and a passage for us. Because it's killing us. Same thing. I'm in a relationship with God, yep. and he is in a relationship with me, and it's very intimate. Yep. Why would I not feel that way? That's right. So there comes faith, like the lady said, and trust. Yep. And the longer we're confessing those things and not holding them in, I think the more trust that is, yep. and the, the better we get at doing that. Yes. And, um, and, and, and and being obedient with that and yeah. having that trust and it's it is a it's so freeing you know it's not bondage it's freeing and um it's it's cool yeah. <laughs> you know because i, I like you at one point thought the same thing and but now it is so revealing that it is a freedom yep. 
not a bondage. Absolutely. And, and hear me, as, as you're saying that, I know that there's something, even in a room of this size, I know that there's somebody out there that doesn't believe it, and it's okay. So for a moment, can I just give a pastoral moment here? I, I, uh, I met with a guy last week, early last week, who had never shared some of the stuff that he dealt with in his life until it kind of blew up a little bit, and now he's walking it out. Held it in, even his wife, uh, we can handle it together. So one thing Kimberly said, I want to expand out a little bit. Our spouses are called to be in those intimate relationships with us. Guys, you need more than your wife. All right, this is, this is straight out of, of what Judy's talking about too. All the time in 12 Steps, they say a wife is a wonderful wife. She's a horrible higher power, and she's a horrible sponsor. Your wife is not your babysitter. She's not your mom, right? Uh, same thing with ladies, again, but I'm talking to guys, but you can apply it to your own thing. Men, you, you got to have some men in your life to show you what it means to be a man. Some ladies, I invite you to have some ladies in your life. They're close up, and then that will be a blessing. I need somebody that almost never, but every now and then, my wife might irritate me. Every now and then, and almost never. It's usually the other way around. Um, and here's what, here's what I need in my life, hear me, is not, you know, you see on sitcoms, get around the guys and complain about your wife. That's not what I need. You know what I need? I need somebody that knows me well enough that when I say this is, this is what's going on, here's why I'm irritated, that will look me in the eye and say, now what's going on in you, man? But there's something in you that that's triggering. Doesn't mean she, she's responsible for her journey, but there's something that's stirring up in you. So I got guys in my life that help me with me in relation to my wife. Does that make sense? And I encourage you, and some of you may not be married, so your work relationships. I gotta have somebody in my close circle that I can bring out my brokenness and not as a guilt. Some of you, again, I'm saying this pastorally, don't know what it's like because you didn't grow up in an environment like that. I'm telling you, I'm inviting you to trust that God alone, you and Jesus under a tree, won't, won't get it done. Now that sounds like almost heretical, but I'm telling you it's the way God designed it. They literally talked about, uh, Ellie talked about it today. It is not good for humanity to be alone. We need each other. He designed it that way. Confess your sins, James says, not just to me, but to what? Somebody knows the verse. To what? One another, and you will be healed. That's why I call it the best kept secret, because some of us don't believe, and again, I hear you and I feel it. You grew up in an environment, again, I talked with a guy last week, nothing in his family life was safe, so it is so natural to think, I can't do this. So put your toes in the water just a little bit, but I encourage you, the Holy Spirit will lead you to relationships that are safe with your heart, and David calls it a blessing, right? Look, this class is the Holy Spirit's class, and you are leading us today, and I mean it, and I love it. Okay. By the way, tell me your name again. I forgot it. Erica. Erica. I, I used to come here a long time no, ago. No, and great. So, Welcome. Thank you. Um, so for people, what I found, when people have a hard time grasping that, if you put it in a different perspective, you can take stories such as saying, okay, medically speaking, uh, when you hold in your stress, your cortisol levels go up, the reproduction of the cells are now making these toxic cells which can metastasize into cancer. So if you say something as simple like that so and say how a lot of terminal illnesses start or chronic illnesses start, sometimes they hear it that way. And then if you take it on a more physics way, you can say, well, our heart is the, is the strongest electromagnetic organ and for us to be able to connect with one another, it, um, when you are allowing your heart to pour out 
your emotions and what you're feeling to someone else. It really does connect one another and then that, it, it increases some type of vibration, some type of frequency because of the fact now there's a oneness. People understand, they get it, they, um, they relate and so now there's empathy, it, it creates an empathy. I mean like you're, if you're combining the two and you're saying it in a way where people aren't really getting it and, um, and break it down, sometimes it's, I mean, that is the scripture. I mean, his bones were wasting away because of the fact of cortisol levels yes. and blah, 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 blah. And then his heart was not functioning the, the proper way. And then when he shared, now the burden is lifted and now someone else feels that same compassion. They understand and said, oh, wow, I, I went through that too. And so now there's a connectedness, which we're supposed to be walking as one in the spirit. Yep. Um, and that's how it is. When we're walking by ourselves, we're in ego. We're in soul. Yep. We're in mind. We're in I can do it myself. We're yep. not in the spirit. Right. Beautiful. So, thank you. No, thank you, Erica. It is, that's what I mean. It is literally healing. And Erica's bringing out some of the depths and like research has shown all of this. This is one of the places, as many places, one of the places the Bible is like light years ahead of the technology, right? We have now learned that this is physically, emotionally, and relationally true at the depths of our being. So we, a, a lot of times, without some unburdening kind of relationship, we're literally walking crippled. We're literally living life crippled. Yeah, David. I was uh, also just gonna say, I appreciate you saying a different perspective. Um, you know, there's a movement in this congregation right now uh, of Discovery Bible Study and being in the word together in a unique way. Um, that passage where it says the, the, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. Yes, yes. I, I almost think of that as it's the truth of the Lord, it's the, the teachings of the Lord. What you know in your mind is heavy upon you. So yeah. if as people we are engaged in being in the word together in a way that allows us to really dig into the word and then really identify what the word is telling us, being in that, that, that biblical centeredness gives us a unique perspective uh, to have those conversations in That's as right. well. It's yep. not just coming to coming together cold turkey and discussing our failures. That's right. Good it's call. coming together and realizing <laughs> that we're able to identify those, not just because we're guilty or we feel bad, but uh, it's the word, the word of God is convicting us. Yes. And that gives that perspective or that lens through which to see it, to talk about it, to discuss it. And it's not just me right. challenging my friend from my perspective. Yeah. It opens the door for the, the scriptures to speak to us together. Absolutely. And, and frees us to talk about it in a way yeah. that is, it's that, that hand of the Lord upon me. And thank you for bringing that out. So here, again, here's a reminder, like, if, if this is new to you, we're not saying go grab the next person on the street and start dumping, right? There, there are opportunities, environments that we're trying to put in place here or begin, like, trust the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to lead us to this place. Uh, and if you don't mind me saying, this is from one of our more introverted folks, right? My, I'm, I'm married to one, too. I, I made a joke that there's a friend of mine that's, that's here in the church, and I texted him today and said, um, I, you know, I'm just, I just felt led that I'm going to sit really close to you today and ask you to tell me all your feelings. Just as a joke, because I know that's the last thing he wants to do. But we're really close. And so you, it doesn't mean if you're an introvert, you've got to be an extrovert. It doesn't mean if you don't have these relationships, you just dive in now. 
but there is an invitation here. By the way, the Holy Spirit will literally lead you there. I love that you brought this one out. We're running out of time, but let me, let me wrap it up very quickly. Um, part, this sounds really strange, but I wrote this down. Part of the grace of God is that he's faithful, loving, faithful and loving in his affliction. <laughs> he's faithful and loving in his affliction. Like his hand was like, like if there's something going on in your life and if the Holy Spirit's in your life, he's going to lean on you a little bit. He's not going to like throw fire down from you. He's going to lean on you and then he'll lean on you. That's a grace, right? A terrible thing, we talked about this I think last week, right? Terrible thing is Samson did not know that the Holy Spirit had left him. That's a horrible thing. Or, or as I told a friend of mine yesterday, we're sitting there talking, he said, my wife is really mad at me. I said, thank God for that. He's like, what? Like, it is a gift. Again, I work with a lot of guys. Ladies are shaking their head. You know what I'm saying? If your wife is mad, that is a wonderful thing because it means she cares enough to be angry. I don't worry about a marriage like that. I worry about the marriage where the wife is not mad at all. She doesn't care. Your marriage is probably over. I'm, I'm just shooting straight with some guys I talked to. You're laughing, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It is a grace. Hear me. It is a grace when God says, you're not going in the direction I want you to go, and I'm not going to like throw fire from heaven, but I want you to have the blessing. So I'm going to lean a little bit. You're going to feel a little bit. It, does that make sense? It's not a gumball machine thing. You're not just going to get sick because you're doing bad things necessarily, but sometimes it might be. And there's an invitation to blessing here. And notice what happens so quickly. Again, we don't have time to do all this, but let me, let me just give you this. I literally sometimes weep when I read this. Um, this is true for all of us. Verse 5. Then, 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 I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, we talked about this before, holy talking to yourself. <laughs> I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So it turns from his testimony to now he's shouting it to everybody who will listen, which is literally what I'm trying to do right now. Therefore, what do you do? Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Does not mean God's going to get to a point where he's done with you, but it does mean, like we talked about last week, it is possible to get outside of hearing distance from God ourselves. Saul couldn't hear the Spirit of God anymore. I don't want to get to that place. Respond to him while God may be found, and then you will find yourself protected, and you will find yourself so blessed that by verses 8 and 9, like Erica, right, you can't help tell people about it. That's what David's doing here at the end of the story. I implore you to receive the blessing of God. I want to end very quickly with this, because it's where he ends the book. It's funny, because he has a whole section. He's got one, one paragraph that ends the book. He does the whole thing on confession, and the last thing he does is he goes back to communion. He goes back to Holy Communion. And that's, I think, the goal of it all. And he has this section where he says, look, the greatest experience that we can have before we go and see Jesus is, I'm not talking about just a quick cracker and juice, but an experience of Jesus-hosted, sacred, holy communion. That's what it's all about. That we are here together, not just as friends, not just as buddies, not just as folks that live in the same place, but brothers and sisters in a family of God at a table hosted by a man who used to be dead. And not just with them, but Sally J. took communion with us today. He was there. Nadine, Kyle took holy communion with us today in the presence of Jesus. And we eat together. 
as brother and sister who love the people who are here and the people who have already gone on to celebrate and Miss Virginia is with us in Holy Communion and Bonhoeffer says don't ever forget that. Don't just lie by it. Ellie's did a great talk. It's not about the talk. We make it about whoever's doing the devotional. It's not about that. I did. I, I couldn't help it. I went up. Great job, Ellie. We ought to say, great job, Jesus. Because you didn't stay dead. And the people that walk with you and walk with you for all those years, they don't stay dead either. And we get to eat together in the presence of Jesus. My favorite thing in my office, other than pictures of my wife, is a plate and two cups that are on top of my bookcase in every place I've ever been. I have had communion on that plate and in that cup with the people that are dearest to me in my life. I had it with my wife and kids. I remember we first started doing like a real communion, like a full-blooded communion with the uh, Trace Dias and Walk to Emmaus community. And I remember getting a big hunk of bread. I know it was unleavened there, but it was table bread. It wasn't about that. It was about what was on your table. We got a big old hunk of bread. And I never forget, my little daughter came in up. And I got to give her, and I said, this is the body of Christ, and it's broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ, and it's broken for you. And I, and I gave it to my wife. I gave it to my friend Rusty, who has gone on to Jesus. I celebrate because I see Mike here, but he died. girl texting and ran into him on a motorcycle, and he died. And, and I got to take it together with a Catholic priest and, I, and with a Methodist minister. And I got to take it with all sorts of people. And my, my shepherds and the leadership team that we had in Lubbock were the tightest group of people I've ever been around. Everybody. And so when I moved into my office here, it just so happened on a Saturday that, of course, Gary was here. And I said, Gary, would you help me put these things up? It's the first thing that would get put up in my office. Because I want this space to be a place, not just of people coming and hanging out and reading and writing classes, but of communion. And my blood brother in Christ put those things up with me. And I hope you have some experience of that. I hope you feel it today. But we do this whole study of life together so we can actually go out and practice and experience what? Life together. Father God, we celebrate and praise you. Blessed are we whose sins have been forgiven. Blessed are we who have no business sitting at the table of the resurrected Christ, and yet you provided the way so that we could sit down and feast with you, with the people here that we love, with the people that have already gone on to be with you that we love. Thank you, thank you, Jesus Christ, for not staying dead and for not letting us stay dead in our sins and our brokenness and our hiding either. We love you. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you all for sharing this study with us.